welcome back to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. Talk through the Seattle side of it, the Seattle Dragons, is their silent report and the producer over on 710 ESPN. Maura Dooley, other things. It's wild to say this next bit, but Mina Kimes, welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast. We were joined by Southern Illinois offensive back Madre Harper. Welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast universe. Uh, joining myself, Stuart Court and Adam Nathan, is our friend Mr. Alistair Corp. Joining us to vent some warps is Rob Staten, a Purdue Boilermaker, a 2008 third round pick Detroit Lion and prompt, most prominently for this pod a former Seahawk Pro Bowler and Super Bowl 48 champion defensive end Cliff Averill welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast Matt thank you guys for having me and joining that party is Mr. Danny O'Neill welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast Danny uh, it was the first time in a long time weirdly long time uh, is our friend from the Athletic and Seahawks Man to Man Podcast our pal Michael Sean Dugar how are we sir a general chit chat is the boss man of the Athletic Seattle, uh, Mr. Stephen Cohen, for my money, one of the best play-by-play guys in the business. He's covered everything from Final Fours to Wake Forest wide receivers playing quarterback in the NFL. And this weekend, he will be in the booth watching Russell Wilson try and avoid Leonard Williams and the New York Giants. Welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast, Adam Amin. Hello, friends. How are you? Myself and Adam is Joe Fan, who covers the Seahawks for NBC Sports. Welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast, Joe. So it's, it's pretty cool that the Seattle team has the guy who was the first quarterback of the the NFL team, and now he's the he's the coach and GM of the newest uh, gridiron team. That's a pretty cool like symmetry to that, isn't it? Yeah, Jim Zorn. He's actually he's brought that up. You know, he said that when he started with the Seahawks, it was a brand new thing too, and they kind of got to see that come to fruition. And um, right now, he's told his team that they need to earn. You know, they were lucky that a lot of fans showed up on Saturday to support them, but that it's something that they need to earn and they need to prove to this fan base that they're here to stay and they're going to It's been really grow. nice to have something to think about and talk about that's not just the four walls that we all sit in. But then there's an argument that it's been insensitive, which I don't necessarily subscribe to, but I guess everyone's got a different viewpoint on it. How have you found it? Presumably it's kept you, you know, interest, interested in what's going on with work. I... I have also found it to be a welcome respite from the news, and I think a lot of people feel that way. I understand, you know, that argument that it feels kind of tone deaf at times when we talk about this, and it, it is weird to log on to social media and it's coronavirus, 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 horrible, 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 horrible. 
free agent signing, it is a little <laughs> bit jarring, but I, I actually, I do think it's quite welcome for a lot of people and not just people in the industry like me, who, you know, obviously benefit from having something to talk about. But I think football fans are, are, and this is based on what we see in their interest and their desire to just have some semblance of normalcy. I guess what you were in 25 uh, at Southern Illinois, was, was Sherm someone you watched on your way up? And, like, the, oh yeah, most definitely. In particular? Most definitely. Uh, definitely K25 because of Richard Sherman. Um, I like watching him because one, I feel like we both had the same body types and kind of had the same mentality on the field and both both have a high level of, uh, you know, IQ. And that's one of the dudes I kind of like pattern my game after, you know, studying and being prepared for every game. And yeah, he may not have the best athletic ability, but he's still out there making plays with the thing. Now I feel like, you know, I'm a little faster than him in different areas. But I mean, I, sir, I mean, I, you know, obviously it's my dream to meet him one day, you know, just have a conversation yeah, yeah. with him and that'd be, that'd just be crazy. But yeah, definitely why we're 25 is because um, of him. But then the Seahawks took Texas Tech linebacker uh, Jordan Brock the initial reaction was somewhat surprised the fact that he was the guy at 27 but this seems to be like a succession plan with and for him in mind yeah definitely that's um, you know I, I, I still have a little bit of an issue with maybe the value of the pick um, but then you know it's it's happened he's a Seahawk now so it's kind of like let's get on with it let's let's analyze you know what he's going to do um, and when I started to kind of come around to that yeah it's definitely like you said a succession plan I think in the long term him and Cody Barton kind of project as as a really nice tandem I think they'll play well together um, and in the short term I think he'll he'll be an improvement on Michael Kendricks you know I think a lot of people yeah. are going to groan thinking oh my god they're going to play three linebackers again but if that's kind of the, the scheme they're going to move forward with um, you know he'll be an improvement he's going to make that team better being on the field so This is a team that should be competing for the Super Bowl. The Rams and the Niners have represented the NFC in the last two Super Bowls with inferior quarterbacks. And look, I'm, we don't come here just to hammer the Seahawks and be really negative and stuff like that. We all want to see the Seahawks win. And if you want to be positive about the Seahawks, there's nothing wrong with that. There's equally nothing wrong with that and saying that certain questions need to be asked about whether this team is really doing everything it can to get back to the Super Bowl during Russell Wilson's peak have that experience and big game atmosphere. Obviously, during your collegiate career, you played against Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame on a pretty annual basis. Did that, do you think that aided you somewhat when you got into the league and were able to hit the ground running more if you'd have played at like a D2 school against lesser opponents in Inverness? I, th- I think so. I, th- I think the competition piece, uh, not necessarily the stadium, that the crowd, maybe the crowd a little bit, but the competition piece, you know, you, you go from high school where you know, some of these guys are just guys, I, I say that loosely, uh, on football teams. Then you get to college where, you know, everybody on your college team, everyone is the best from their city or their state, right? So um, you're going to get better talent and different things like that. But I would say, you know, playing in front of 80, 90,000 people, you know, kind of prepares you a little bit because college crowds in comparison to pro crowds are completely different. You know, you, you it's easily, I, I remember playing Penn State on a, on a, on a Saturday night game, and it was like 110,000 people. There's no NFL stadium that holds 110,000 people, you know? So, you know, you kind of get prepped from that perspective, but, um, you know, just the competition, I think, is, is the biggest thing. And that they, they probably are for the players to get to, to, to be able to play at a high level. It was level. box office more yeah, often than not, and obviously him and Doug started having fun with it. What was it like being in that room and 
especially with Richard Sherman, especially who was a fifth round cornerback, kind of forgotten on draft weekend to one of the faces of the franchise. How, his emergence, what was that like to watch from your vantage? It was awesome. <laughs> Rich, Richard is one of the more unique, he's got a unique perspective on sort of both how he's gotten to where he is, what keeps him sharp. Um, he's fascinating. And like I said, like what's the thing that a reporter would like most? It's someone who is honest. And Richard was willing to tell you what he thought or to share his perspective in ways that were, I remember the first time that, that, that I really saw it was they had Chris Heron, who is a, he's an American basketball player. He, he played a little bit in the NBA, but he's, he's most known for, he was a really prominent new England prep recruit who ended up having a significant number of drug problems. And he's kind of, he's, he's gotten sober and he's remade himself as kind of a, a, a motivational speaker and someone who talks about what he went through and they, they brought him in. And I remember talking to, to Richard about it afterward, because I've always been kind of fascinated in Heron. Um, he'd gone to Fresno state and I I'd followed his career and I've listened watched a couple of documentaries. So I was fascinated to hear from what the players thought about it. And Richard was annoyed where he was kind of like, you got this guy up there telling me that I could fall victim to drugs at any point in time. He's like, don't question my mental toughness. Like I walked out of the, across people who were passed out every morning to go to high school. Like if I wanted the easy way out, I would have took it. Like, don't, don't sit there and tell me that that could happen to me. And there was, it wasn't, it, it was unexpected, but it was also like where I'm like, I'm getting an insight into this guy's personality and why he's been able to achieve at this level. Richard is, Richard is the most interesting athlete that I've ever covered. Yeah. Now everybody telling me a lie. Lord, they give me something for my soul. Knows if it is, you know, the media are being blamed by some guys in the NFL media, the NFL network, like it's the media's fault because season doesn't happen, which is complete bullshit, obviously. Um, and like just embarrassing stuff from an embarrassing person. But like, how does this, how does it look to you going forward? Because the NFL kind of is just going on like, you know, business as usual, but it, you know, in a way, there's only so, so long that can be true for. Yeah, the, the tricky thing about, I don't want to say it's tricky, in college football and the NFL, for the most part, what they did was, um, I like to say sports is a microcosm for society and what happened with the coronavirus is a great example. In terms of our government, whether not uh, federal or local or whatever, for the most part, what we did was However we viewed the virus, we found uh, news outlets and like medical professionals to confirm our, our bias about it. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of confirmation bias going on. If we thought the virus was like the flu and it was gonna go away, you could find some news outlet that had some medical professional support your theory. And then if you thought it was the worst thing ever and we should shut everything down and treat it like the very serious thing that it is, you could also find medical professionals to support your theory. And that's what we did as a government for the most part. That's why some states opened up right away. Florida, I don't think ever really closed. Um, and that is what happened in sports. If you were running an NFL team or if you were running uh, a college football conference, Power Five, SEC, whatever, you're able to find a doctor to be like, no, 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 you guys can play. Or you can find docs who's like, hell no. What do you, no, you can't play. 
Um, and because of that, the football looks like a mess in particular because a bubble was never an option. Uh, so the really only options were play and not play. And that got really scary. Thankfully for the NFL players, there's a union that they can negotiate these things and be safe and, and all of that. So yeah, right now it looks fine. I think only like nine NFL players are currently on the COVID list, like of the whole league. That's incredible. Um, so that's, that's actually a really good sign. But that's why college football, you know, took a dump because you had so many people. And then it was regional thing too, right? You got the deep south where like football is, is God. And then you look over here in the west coast of the country and it's like, well, we like football, but we ain't going to die for it. Um, and you the, the Midwest in the middle, so the Big Ten is like in a weird spot. So you had like the regional parts of it and like the, the political aspects of it. College football is screwed in that regard. The NFL, it's a lot more like uh, standardized. You know, it doesn't really matter if you own the Chargers or the Bills or the Jaguars. You all under the same rules, so no matter your political whatever. But the reason it took so long is because everyone kind of sat on their hands and was like, well, maybe it'll go away by July. Oh, July is here. Oh, it hasn't gone away. Oh, shit. What do we do? Uh, and it got, and it got, got ugly, a really but... subdued and quiet team that doesn't really do anything of note or yeah. <laughs> it's not a circus to cover as well. And a sedate fan base to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> Super sedate. Yeah, everybody's very chill up here. In very, very chill. Uh, it's great. I mean, they always make things interesting, right? It's it's uh, whether or not you agree with the approach or not, they are they're just they're a proactive franchise. They're always trying, and I think that you have to respect that as a as a fan. Um, and even as it's been this, I mean, I think this transition from like the Legion of Boom eras, which was pretty, you know when I covered the team was sort of that first Super Bowl season through about 2017. And so that that was the Legion of Boom at, at the height of its powers, really. And seeing it kind of transition into, you know, this is Russell's team now. This is very much a, a different sort of uh, way that this team is oriented has been really fascinating. And it's it's uh, the moves that they make to sort of try and, and, and win this year, whether it was the Clowney trade or Sheldon Richardson a few years ago or Jimmy Graham before that, like, they're always, it's always something. It's always something, and it makes it fun, uh, I think. I was sat up on the train, staring out the window at the rain. The best sportsman at your school, by far, to then the best sportsman in your county, to then, you know, your region. And at some point, you start uh, performing with peers, presumably for the first time, in a, you know, it's taking you a long time to to reach those peers. As NFL players do, you know, they go through high school, they go through college, where they're, they're clearly the best athlete, and then they reach their peers. What kind of feeling is that when you look at someone and think, "Oh my God, you're actually as good at, at this as I am"? Oh, it's weird because you, when you go into that environment, everybody in that environment is good or the best at what they do. So you never look at it or think about it in that light because you're competing for your spot to try and get in those boats or as the players are trying to get in the 53-man roster, you know. So you're competing with your peers that you're in the same team with, um, but then you need them around you because they're the ones that drive you to make you better at what you do. Um, and it's a really weird environment because everybody's so driven to perfection to be the best they can. And there's not many environments in the working world where you'll ever get that where everybody's trying to be the best they can possibly be because if you don't live up to what's expected or what you need to deliver you'll the first time I heard you put your so name to the face was, was the Notre Dame title run a few years ago obviously you didn't sit down in the, in the final four and then the finals go I'm going to have a call 
in the next couple of hours, which will live on forever, basically. But when it came down to Ogbu Nawale and a reaction to how how your call was perceived by people watching and listening at home, that must be a fun thing to live through and be reminded of ever so often, as, as I'm sure you are. I, you don't hope, obviously, and I think you you kind of alluded to it as well, Stu. You don't hope to go into it thinking about that. You you don't go into these jobs and into these events thinking about that. You go in just trying to. I, I was just trying not to get you know too nervous and and trying not to mess it up. This was a big deal for me. This was a championship event. You know, calling the women's final four in, in America. It's collegiate athletics final four, college basketball, men or women, is a big deal. So I I took that that very seriously and I was more nervous uh, for that as maybe anything I'd done in my career at ESPN at that point so when we were you know I guess I guess handed these incredible games <laughs> you just you just let them happen and, and you react naturally and organically and one thing I'm proud of is that I felt that all four of us the three of us at the table myself Rebecca Lobo Carol Lawson and then Holly Rowe who's our excellent reporter I I was hoping that it would just feel organic throughout, and it did. And all the preparation and all the games that we had done all year leading up to that made it feel very natural for us. So when it happened, we just reacted organically and naturally. And I, I'm an exuberant announcer. I'm an exuberant person when I, I'm in that type of setting. And it's one of the reasons I love doing the job, which I'm sure a lot of announcers feel the same. Um, I just reacted the way I would typically react for anything else. and to have that moment and to not have screwed it up too badly and then to have another one a couple of nights later for the championship itself. Uh, it, very, very cool. It's something you hope for as an announcer. At some point, you hope to have one moment like that. And I've been very, very lucky to be a part of a handful at, at various points in the last few years. How do you feel he's kind of reacted to being the, the real focal point of the team? Because it does feel like it's more on his shoulders now than it ever has been. And I would say that probably with mixed results. Um, it, it is, and it, it should be, because he's the best player. And mm -hmm. you're always going to win as far as your, your, go as far as your best players take you. He talked about it all offseason. He talked about it at the Super Bowl. He talked about it with people in free agency. He talked about it all offseason about how he wants to be more run and gun. He wants to have this mindset of scoring as many points as possible. And they opened the season doing so. And, I, you know, I don't think teams were fully prepared for Seattle to make such a pass-heavy adjustment to where they still were like, we got to stop Chris Carson. And while Russell Wilson's just chucking all over the yard and teams are getting beat deep, five, six times a game. I mean, I think it was like six to eight to maybe even 10 explosive pass plays a game in the early going. I mean, it was dominant. And teams threw a counter punch and have now had this okay, we're gonna give you some some run friendly looks and try to take away the deep stuff and see how you react. Like interviewing and working alongside over the last few years on the team, obviously the team full and chock full of personalities, if, if, even if the personalities are slightly different to the ones that were there a few years ago. Is there anyone that you enjoy working with and having on on, uh, on, the, on the radio? 
Oh, yes. Uh, I think I work on Bob David Moore now. I was producing John Clayton's show. But I think the one that everyone gets excited when they tell us that we're going to interview is DJ Fluker, (laughs) (laughs) the offensive lineman. He just has the biggest personality. He's always smiling. And he's just a giant human. Like, you would think when you just see him that he's going to be intimidating and mean. He's just this giant, scary-looking guy on the field. But he's just the happiest guy you could ever meet. And he's constantly got these one-liners, like when he's talking about facing Damon Snack Harrison in the game, saying that they're like two bears fighting in the woods. Or, <laughs> um, when he squared off against uh, Nadama Kung Su, he said that uh, he was taking him to the water all day. <laughs> he has all these great terms. And uh, yeah, so he is definitely... Super Bowl 48 left it a mark literally on you because I believe you have it tattooed on your arm. Where, where did you uh, end up watching that? Were you, you weren't working for ESPN at the time, so where were you for that? I actually, I was thinking about going because it was in New York mm-hmm. and I lived in New York at the time but I really wanted to watch with my friends who I had watched with forever in New York mm-hmm. and uh, so we watched a bunch of us watched at the same bar that we always watched at for years and um, you know I was really glad it shook out that way because one of my friends who I watched with passed away not long after that and it's kind of one of my fondest memories is getting mm-hmm. to watch with him of the phone calls they make to the players have you like visualized or mentally prepared for that phone ringing in a couple of weeks uh, uh i mean like i kind of thought about it but i don't know i don't i didn't put too much thought in it like no. i don't know if it, it feels weird because it's like you know you've been looking i've been seeing my friends get drafted and then yeah. you know when you're young you've been looking at all those stories all those videos everything it's just like and, and like next week two weeks like that's gonna be me and i don't know it's just kind of weird like I don't even know how to feel, but I'm very excited, honestly. And I don't know, I probably might cry or something because I've been working for this a long time. And, you know, any athlete, we go through ups and downs, injuries, you know, good things, bad things in our career. And so it just feels really good to be in this moment. Says she tired little money, need a big boy. Pull up 20 inch blades like I'm Lil Troy. Now it's everybody flocking, need a decoy. Shorty mixing up the vodka with the leak like loads of them, some of the best of their position, you know, Thomas is, you know, whatever. Yeah. At which point of the game or of the life as a player do you see that guy's like, oh, okay, I can see now why you are what you are. Is it on the field? Is it off the field? I guess the cliche answer is going to be, it's everything, it's the day-to-day, but is there like a light switch point where you're watching every other receiver and then Calvin does something and you're like, what the hell has he just done? That's why you are what you are. Calvin was the only one that, while I was playing with them, I realized why he was great, right? Um, you know, you start, I seen one time, I think we were playing the Cowboys, he went up and grabbed the ball like twice over three guys, you know what I mean? And just, and you see it in practice, but most times you see things in practice, you're like, okay. Um, but then you go do it in a game with three guys wrapped around you, you just somehow find another level of, of height to jump up to and go grab it. 
that's when it was like, wow, like this guy is legit. <laughs> now, after the fact, uh, with all the other guys, Marshawn was another guy too. I would say Marshawn, uh, the Arizona uh, game, I think it was like a Thursday night game or something like that. He had a crazy, crazy run in Arizona. And I was like, oh, this is like the beast quake. Like seeing it in person is completely different than seeing it on TV. Um, so those two guys, I would say, are guys that in the moment, I realize like they're, they're great. But after the fact, the Earl Thomases, the Cam Chancellors, the Richard Shermans, you go back and look at film, you like, no, like we were amongst, we had so much great talent, I guess it didn't kind of stick out in a sense. Um, but after the fact, you start looking at well, so like, one, one thing. So my, the one, one of the few things that's come out of my hometown is two-tone music, which is also ska, yeah. Stephen. <laughs> so, f- following, f- oh, no. following the amount of uh, Seattle journalists uh, I do follow, Tim Booth, all the rest of them, your name seems to crop up quite readily with those three letters in the same tweet. Yeah. Um, the, w- w- I mean, are you a fan of ska? Is it? Is it? I, I I may have played in a ska band in high school. That may have been <laughs> something I did, and uh, yeah, when Tim and Jenks and all those idiots found out about that, they uh, <laughs> they never. They actually went behind my back. They they somehow tracked down my brother. I think Stacy Ross uh, or Stacy Ross did this actually. She found my brother and got the. Uh, got the name of the band and some of the songs from him <laughs> when I wouldn't tell her. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's my cross to bear, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The world is so small till it ain't. Yeah. I'm building up a wall till it break. She hated when I called. Another thing on relationships, and he's certainly not a player who, as you blocked on Twitter, is I think he's the only Seahawks player who follows me. Last time I checked, um, he's come back this season. Uh, Bruce Irvin and McDonald. Ah, I, I mean, love Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how did all the well, how did the McDonald's thing? And I mean, Bruce is one of those who's just like he's he's as outgoing as outgoing. He's always got that big tooth, toothy grin on his face as well. I mean, he must be. Obviously, he doesn't get the stage time that the Shermans and Bennett's and Thomas got back in the day, but he's someone who's equally had an incredibly interesting journey to where he was in 2012 and now where he is again in 2020. It's amazing. I, I sit there. His career makes me smile. Like, I'm so happy that that guy, because you remember when they drafted him, the, the kind of thought was like, how, are, how, how is this going to work? Like, this is a person that he basically didn't play high school football because he was never eligible. He didn't graduate from high school. He was homeless for a time. He was selling drugs. And then he ended up kind of getting things together and going to a junior college and then going to West Virginia. And then he gets arrested after the combine. And everybody's like, what do you, you can you trust this knucklehead? And he's he's had a career in which he He's done remarkably well. Um, and obviously I'm not I, sure you know, how. Mark, he's an amazing broadcaster. They can just see a play and in three seconds diagnose, well, this guard has done that or that receiver has done that. Um, obviously, you focus more on kind of saying what's happening and they'll focus on the analysis. It leaves me dumbfounded how quickly they're able to pick, you know, pick something up that would take me kind of 10 looks to see. <laughs> Does that, is, is that just the advanced researchers coming in or is there stuff, have you got 27,000 screens going on? I just don't understand how he does it. Uh, it it's, it's one of the truly unique skill sets, I think, uh, is to be a translator 
of mm -hmm. this information, right? To see something visually that is fairly complex, that is created of several simple movements that create something much complex. The simple movements are where you go, what step do you take? Uh, which side, you know, do you step with your left or your right foot? Do you step back fully or take a half step back? Do you angle this way or angle this way? These are all simple movements that create very complex structures and schemes. And that's the, you know, Madden play call sheet that you that you pick when you, you know, hit the button to play, pick that play. By the way, that's the only way I ever have an opportunity <laughs> to do things like that is strictly in, in video game form. But I, I seeing all those simple movements create something so complex and then to translate all of that all the way back down and break it down into the one thing that you feel was most important in that play or one or two things sometimes when we have more time to show these replays that you know our, our technical crew does a spectacular job of showing uh it, it's fascinating it's a it's a truly unique skill set and then to be able to do it in a fashion that is uh you know easily to uh, easy to process it's uh, consumable and it's uh, it doesn't take away from the enjoyment of the game because that's all we're doing. It's just a game. Uh, that's a, that's a unique skill set. favorite videos is uh, Lynch talking about his first beast quake and he says yeah in the huddle he's like okay there's gonna be problems and he sees the lineup and he's like okay there's problems and breaks the first tackle and he talks through the whole play and I'm fascinated about like the mindset of a pro athlete and I'm thinking about the the pick six that Malcolm Smith gets because it's your play ultimately yeah yeah is, <laughs> can you talk us through that play like from call to like what it feels like when you line up or is you know that play or is there another play that that like sticks every bit of it in your mind like in slow motion because i'm fascinated about how the mindset of an athlete slows down in the, in the biggest moments when you know exactly what's going to happen the game definitely slows down um but you have to have played a lot for it to get to that point but i would say yeah like the first play of the super bowl right um all i remember first off I got to start the game off, right? So that, like, now I'm, I'm excited. We weren't sure. We we're like, maybe the nickel package is going to start. That, that package usually doesn't start. We didn't start all, all season long. So we're like, ah, they're a throwing team. All right, they're probably going to come out with our pass rushers. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I have a whole checklist in my head that has to happen in a less than three second span. Whether it's, you know, look at the play clock, look at the center, look at my tackle. I have to do all these things before I get my stance, like to give me my keys, basically, um, before I get my stance to know what's going on. So I get my stance and I'm looking at the center, but I can still see the quarterback. And Peyton Manning's the type of quarterback. He he gets into a set, uh, he gets into underneath the center early so he can read everything else So the D-line is typically on taking a knee because it takes forever uh, to snap the ball. So during that process, I know this already. So I'm kind of watching and I see him step up to like kind of audible out of it. But I'm also seeing the center, he doesn't like relax. So usually when they're audible and the center relaxes to hear the call. Mm -hmm. 
he doesn't relax. So now I'm looking like, oh, he's probably about to snap the ball and Peyton's stepping up. So I see him snap the ball and Peyton's stepping up. I'm like, oh, this is a fumble. Now I have to just find the ball, you know? <laughs> I see it, it kind of rolls off to my side, to the left a little bit. So now I'm chasing it and like, oh, I'm about to give me a touchdown. Then I see uh, uh, Moreno come out of nowhere and get on it. So I tag off on him. That's But, um, so it, it just slowed down a little bit to the point where I, I could see, I seen it was it's gonna be a fumble. Now let's try to get this touchdown. Obviously, now once I see Moreno getting away, I'm like, all right, I need to be the first to tag off on him. And then come to find out, I was like, fastest scoring Super Bowl. About the money in your brother's hand. What's mine is yours. Thought you knew me better than that. I was under the impression that we all want the best of life. So let's celebrate. Yeah, I was going to say the, the best thing for me is when we have guests that are so much better than us and they thank us for inviting them on the podcast. <laughs> when NFL players, but, oh, thanks so much for having me. Like, oh, no, yeah, honestly, yeah, that's absolutely great. You should be thanking us for uh, you know, wasting an hour of your time on the show. Like that.